Father, we thank you so much for your hope given to us from you through your word revealed to us, through the gift of Jesus Christ coming on our behalf, through the gift of the Holy Spirit coming to dwell within us, to open up our eyes that we might see one. As we begin looking here in Habakkuk this morning, Father, I pray that we are strengthened in our relationship with you. I pray that through this particular study, we grow closer to you. We learn to trust you in the, our life and in the world around us. Father, forgive us. We are, we are frail. We struggle. We stumble. And Lord, it is difficult for us as your creation. It can be difficult for us to understand what you are doing as the creator. And Lord, I pray that we would bring that to you and that we would learn to look and see and trust in you. You've given us all that we need through the Word, through your Son, and through the Spirit. We have all that we need. And so I pray that we would rely upon that today in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so if you would, turn in your Bibles actually to 2 Kings chapter 22. We, we're going to be studying the book of Habakkuk, but I want you to go ahead and, and turn to 2 Kings 22 here at first. So when, whenever I, I teach or talk about how to study the Bible, um, one of the things that, that has been helpful for me that I talk about is understanding the different types of reading that you are going to do. Um, and I, I try and break it down into three different types of reading that you might do when you come to Scripture and you read it. Um, and we need to practice all three of them if we're going to give Scripture its due. So the illustration I usually use to describe these types of reading uh, comes from boating. Um, so I grew up, uh, we had a pontoon boat. Our family had a pontoon boat. We loved to go out on the lake. We loved to go tubing. We would take these week-long camping trips sometimes, and we would go out to a lake, and we'd, we would find you know, beaches to camp on uh, and all of that. And so I, I, use, I use some things from that as just an illustration for the different. And one of the first things you do is you just cruise. You just cruise around. You just, you're, you're, you're checking out the whole place. You are looking at the landmarks that are there, you're looking to see, you know, are there inter any interesting coves that we want to come back to? Or is there any cool things that we were like, ooh, we want to come back and we want to check on that. But, and as we're doing it, you know, we're marking those down on our map as we're going, but really all we're doing at first, and so this would be like our first afternoon out on the lake, is we would just be getting the lay of the land. We'd be checking out, we, what, what are the things that we want to get? What's the big picture? And so that's the first type of, of reading that you want to do in scripture, is when you come to a book, you want to just cruise through it. You want, to, you want to note down as you're going through, hey, that's an interesting spot. Ooh, I think I'm probably going to come back there. But we're cruising. We want to see the big picture. What is the whole of this thing that we have come to? And so that's boating. And then at the end of that, once we've boated and we've checked it out now, we might come back to a particular cove. We might come back to a particular place. And this is when we snorkel. Right? So snorkeling, this is the idea. We're in the water now. We've got our mask on. We've you know, got our little, little tube sticking out. But we're still, we're kind of checking out the whole cove. 
We're kind of, you know, we're, 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 we're just kind of paddling around and we're looking down there and we're noticing what's in here, what's going on. So this might be in, in Scripture taking, you know, section by section, chapter by chapter. But we're still just, we're trying to put the big pieces together. So we've got the lake together, but now we're like, what is this cove doing here? You know, do, do I like this cove better than that cove? Which probably shouldn't think that about the Bible, but you might compare one cove to another and how do they attach? Analogies all break down. But then the last thing you do after you've snorkeled, then you scuba dive. And this is where as you've gotten the big picture, you've seen, oh, you know what? I think the key areas here are here and here and here. So now we go back and we snorkel and we go, oh, you know what? In here, I think the key areas, maybe the key words, maybe the key phrase, maybe the key argument, it's right here. So now we're going to put on the, the scuba gear and we're going to go deep. And we're gonna we're gonna go deep here, and so I, maybe that's not helpful to you, but it's helpful to me in thinking about scripture because so often we just sit down and we just open the Bible and we just don't know what we're doing. We we don't have a way in, and so one of the first things that I think is really helpful for you and for me when we come to scripture is to go, what kind of reading am I here to do today? Am I boating? Because if I'm boating, I'm looking for the big picture. I'm not, I'm not stopping at every single landmark to go deep because I want the whole thing, and that's okay. Am I snorkeling? All right, well, then we're going to focus in here. Am I scuba diving? All right, let me get all my resources out. We're going deep. But it's helpful for us mentally, and it's helpful for us when we come to Scripture to understand the whole of a passage. So today, as we start Habakkuk, what we're going to do today is we're going to go boating because before we go deep, we have to make sure that we see the big picture of this little book. We have to see how it flows. We have to see what Habakkuk's doing. We want to know where the conversation's going to go as we get in deep. So before we look at the book today, so here's the interesting thing about Habakkuk. Um, this Habakkuk's name only shows up in his book. Um, so so we, we don't see his name show up elsewhere. There's clues, however, in the book that give us a general idea of when Habakkuk was writing and what the situation was that he was writing in. And so, again, this is a general idea. We can roughly bring it down. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start in 2 Kings 22, and we're going to talk a little bit about the time of King Josiah and the coming threat of the Babylonian elf. Because that's 2 Kings uh, 22. And we're going, to, we're going to look here. So we read here in 2 Kings 22 about Josiah. And we read about how the generations of kings before Josiah, so his father, his grandfather, they had been evil. There's no getting around it. It wasn't, there was no, you know, nuance here. They were evil. They turned away from the Lord. They did what was wicked in his sight. They didn't just turn away from the Lord, though, because you don't just turn away from the Lord, by the way. That's not what you do. They turned to evil things. They turned away from God and they turned to worshiping other gods and all sorts of terrible, evil practices. And then Josiah comes along as a young boy. He comes along and he becomes king and he is faithful to God. The kings had led God's people. So, I mean, we got to make sure we understand this. The kings before Josiah had led God's people so far away from God that they had forgotten and lost the books of the law. They, they, they were so far from God. 
So when Josiah comes in, the temple, which had fallen into disrepair, Josiah sets about having the temple repaired. The workmen find the book of the law. It's brought to Josiah. And when the book of the law was read to Josiah, Scripture tells us that he tore his clothes. And what he said next and what happened next is helpful to us today. Because Josiah was a faithful man. Josiah was a righteous king. We're told, this is what, this is what we're told about Josiah, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David his father and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. So he understood when you follow God, you turn to God. You don't turn aside to one way or another. So he understood something right away then. This man who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, who loved the Lord, when he heard the law, he understood something right away. Look in 2 Kings 22.13. This tells us what Josiah's initial reaction was. He said, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do all that is written concerning us. So this man who understood God, who was righteous, who followed God, immediately understood something. When he read the law, he understood that great is the wrath of the Lord kindled against us. Oh my goodness. We have rebelled against God. We have turned away from His law. We have been disobeying Him throughout this whole nation. So listen to what happened next. Verse 14. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Achbor and Shaphan and Asiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they talked with her. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. And so Josiah did finish out his reign, and God was kind to him. We see a balance here, don't we? But within the next generation after this, the pharaoh of Egypt is going to flex his muscles in controlling the next king, and then along is going to come this guy Nebuchadnezzar, and the Babylonians rising up to supplant Assyria. And then 
we have the Babylonian exile. In the coming years, God's people are going to be overrun. They will be defeated. They will be carried away from their land into captivity. It's going to be awful. So Jeremiah, when he wrote Lamentations, and we began with Lamentations this morning, Jeremiah's writing to describe how desperately terrible of an experience it was for the Jews to go through all of this. It was awful. It was graphic. It was, it was the worst. And so it is sometime in this time frame. Again, from what Habakkuk writes, it is sometime in this time frame that we assume that Habakkuk writes his book. Watching the rise of these godless nations. And not just the rise of these godless nations, but how these godless nations are taking over his beloved Israel. Taking over God's own people. And the thing that you and I have to keep in mind is Habakkuk, as he's watching this, doesn't have the luxury that you and I have of living in the future, of knowing that God would exile his people, but he'd also restore them, that he'd bring them back, that he would send his son. No, no, he's watching the people that he knows and loves get carried away, get killed, get thrown into slavery, be dispersed. He was living in a terrible present And he could not understand how God could be who he was and yet look around and see what was happening. He couldn't understand how the nations were all in God's hands and moving by his decree. So so there's a couple of ways as we we jump into the book here. There's a couple of ways that you and I might be able to relate to Habakkuk. One might be there's a part of you that might be cynical about everything that's happening in this world. You see all the things that are going on. You see how the wicked are doing really well and the righteous are suffering. You see how the unjust people are succeeding and they're doing it at the expense of of, of those who are just and righteous. You see all of this and there, there could be a cynicism that grows up in our hearts towards the world and what we're seeing And we can begin to wonder, and we can ask, does God really care about what's happening here? Because if God really cared, why would it be happening this way? If you wrestle with that, I think you can relate to Habakkuk in this moment. Another way that you might be able to relate to Habakkuk is this. I want to be clear, Habakkuk is not a doubter. Habakkuk believes in God. He believes in the power of God. He clearly loves God. The question, though, as he looks at the world is, why does God tolerate evil? Why does God tolerate wrong and injustice? How can he let it happen? So Habakkuk's not asking this question, Christian. He's not asking it because he's not convinced about who God is. He's asking it because he knows who God is. And he's looking and he's, he's, he's not understanding how what he's seeing lines up with who God is. There's something inconsistent. So what we're going to do today is today we want the big picture. So we're actually going to read the whole book together. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. Um, so if you, want to, if you don't have the ESV and you want to pull it up on your phone, that's fine. But we're going we're gonna to read the entire book and I'm going to stop at a couple of points and just situate us. But we're boating and, and the goal here is to see the big picture. And I want you guys to, as we're reading, try and grab the flow 
of the conversation that's happening here between Habakkuk and God. Habakkuk is going to ask a question. God's going to respond. Habakkuk is going to come back with another question. God is going to respond. And then Habakkuk is going to pray. And I want you to see the flow of this and how it works and get that in your mind. And then next week we'll come back and we'll go in deeper. But I think it's really helpful to to get the picture of this whole conversation. So here we go. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. So this is the question that Habakkuk begins with. And he's not throwing a softball question here, is he? He's given right, this question goes right to the core of what Habakkuk was seeing in the world. Why doesn't God do something about this? Why is God doing it this way? So then verse 5, here's God's response. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sands. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. And then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men, whose own might is their God. So we see here in this answer that God is saying, I'm the one who has raised up. He's not denying who these Chaldeans are, though, is he? He's very clear on who these Chaldeans are, but he says that he is the one who raised them up. So Habakkuk now asks another question. In light of what he's heard, with his power, why does God give anything to these people who don't worship him? Verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. 
You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. <coughs> okay, so, so here he says, I get it. You've ordained them as a judgment. You have established them for reproof. I get that. But the next problem is, but look at them. How can you idly look? They're, you're blessing them when they're worshiping false gods and destroying all of us. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil. So now the Lord will answer. And this answer is going to be about his justice. And it can be very stark. This is a reminder to Habakkuk of who exactly he's speaking to. Unlike, though, I want to point out here as we read this, unlike in Job, when in Job he essentially just says, who are you? Where were you? Who do you think you are? He doesn't do that here, as we're going to see. But he does give us a stark answer. And the Lord answered me. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnants of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. 
You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. And utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. We see here this statement that God is a just God. There might be waiting for the prophet, but don't ever doubt that God is a just God. And then here we have an important shift in verse 18. This emphasis on idolatry and on other gods who are unable to do anything. We are meant, I think, as we go through the flow here, to begin to contrast and to realize a contrast has to be made between the God that Habakkuk is talking to and the gods that these other nations are worshiping. Like, for instance, when Habakkuk said they offer sacrifices to their nets and their dragnets. Verse 18, what profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver. There is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. When you think about it, there's at least two things happening in that statement. The, the, the obvious thing is... God is not like these other gods. They will not stand. In fact, they're nothing. But the second thing here is Habakkuk. Don't act like I am like those other gods. You don't tell me to awake. I am the one who teaches you. This is that reminder that God is who he is. In and of himself entirely. Chapter 3, the response, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigi Anoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. So now he's turned from a question to a plea in light of the responses he's gotten. God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His bright Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. 
He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kashan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place as the light of your arrows, at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Here at the end. we see the result of this conversation between the prophet and God is worship. And trust. Worship and trust in our God who is over the nations our God, who is so just, so perfectly just, it should terrify us. And yet is also merciful, trustworthy. You can imagine Habakkuk on his knees with these words. And when you consider the context that he is in the midst of the day of trouble, the whole nation is in the midst of the day of trouble. 
he's being poetic, but I don't think he's speaking out of turn or being too hyperbolic when he says, I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. This is the situation he's in. But because of this conversation that he's had and what God has said to him, his response is, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. In other words, God, I trust you. So the beauty for us as we close this morning is that we know more than Habakkuk. You know, like younger kids get the chance to learn from watching from the lives of their older brothers and sisters, right? I was the baby in my family, and so I got to watch all my older siblings make all the mistakes so I could do it better. That's why I'm the best. <laughs> That's why every younger child is the best also, by the way. But we are the younger children here, and we are watching our older brother Habakkuk wrestle with how God is treating him. And it, it's on us, younger children, to pay attention to this conversation that our older brother had with God and learn from it. But we know more than Habakkuk. We know what God will do. We know what God will do in the immediate, and we know what God will do in the long term. We're looking back on Habakkuk, and so we know that God will save. We've read the lengths God will go to in order to save. And so I just want to end on that note. How God is going to balance His perfect justice and his mercy. We know how he's going to respond to the nations of the world. So I'm going to end with a, another reading from Scripture. This should be familiar uh, to you if you've been here for the last two and a half years. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Because if you just read in Habakkuk, none of those things have the same power as the will of God. The word became flesh, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. So we're going to notice something here for all of us Gentiles in the room. This should be so meaningful to us that we have received grace. Our nations are in the hands of God as well. And look how he extends his mercy. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So we look back on Habakkuk with so much joy because of Christ. 
We're going to dig into Habakkuk. We're going to go back to chapter 1 next week, and we're going to work through this in, in more depth. Um, I would encourage you guys, read through Habakkuk yourself, but I would also encourage you, wrestle with these questions. Wrestle with this conversation here. As younger siblings watching this conversation, what do you and I have to learn for our own hearts from what Habakkuk learned? And what do you and I have to learn for what's going on in our world from what Habakkuk learned? And let's be so thankful that God did not leave us on our own and that he did not just come with the justice he certainly could have. He didn't come with the woes he certainly could have come with, but he sent his son instead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and how powerfully it speaks. It is our anchor and our rock because you have made yourself known through it and we can know you. And so, Lord, I pray that with humility, we would come to you honestly. We would recognize, Lord, that you are patient with us. You are willing as a father to teach us and disciple us. You're not an idol that we put words in your mouth. You are a God, the God, before whom we are silent and you speak. So thank you for speaking through the book of Habakkuk today. In Christ's name, amen. Please stand with me.
So before we end today, we want to take a moment and we want to pray. Um, so Andrew and Travis are going to be gone the next two week weekends, right next to, is that right? The next two Sundays, they are going to be in Southeast Asia starting a new, uh, a new, I'm blanking on the word. Workshop. Workshop. Thank yeah. you. That was a, it was a tough word. Um, and so we want to we wanna pray for them um, as they're going, and they're going to be doing a ton of teaching. They, um, they have lots of sessions to teach. They have new people to meet, laying out plans and all of that. So we want to just pray for them. Is there anything specific? No, I think that's, that's the general gist of it. Yeah. Okay. What about your families? Yes, pray for them. Yes. There always are things that happen while we're gone. Yeah. And we're not around to, to uh, we can't fix everything anyway, but we're not here. <laughs> we're not here to even make a mess of it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's pray. Lord, we uh we just thank you for the opportunities that we have to proclaim your excellencies and the opportunities we have to to build up our own church, but Lord to build up the church and just to uh, I just thank you so much for this opportunity um, with Travis and Andrew going uh, to a, a, a new location, new people. Um, Lord, I pray you would bless it all. Your word is so powerful. Your word works to pierce hearts, to change lives, to, to through, through the understanding of your word, we can live forever as we come to know Christ. And so, Father, I pray for them as they help uh, brothers church leaders, pastors, and teachers uh, grow in this such essential area. Lord, I pray that you'd give them energy. I pray you'd give them wisdom, the ability to, to, to Lord, teach well, uh, lots of energy as they have lots of teaching to do. Um, Lord, I, I pray for there to just be such a sweet bond of unity around Christ with these, uh, these fellow believers and that you would just bless this work in wonderful ways. I pray that for safety, that you would just protect them, Lord, throughout this um, so that they can be your servants and, and use their, their time and, Lord, their energy for you. We do pray for their families, um, Lord, as they're traveling, that you would keep their families safe, that, Lord, you give them peace and joy resting in you, that it would just, um, the time would go by quickly and well. Um, and, Lord, most importantly, we ask that you would glorify your name by spreading the word, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ abroad to more and more strengthening believers, your sheep. Would you do that for your glory, Father? In Christ's name, amen. amen. You're dismissed.